And the vast majority of us are, um, and by the way, the ones that die the easiest from alcoholism and addiction are the smartest ones because we're so smart that we can't accept help. We don't need your help. We think we can do this all on our own. So get lost. This is the Knocking Doors Down podcast. If you're looking for stories of hope, inspiration, and redemption, you are in the right place. Of course, your host, Jason Lachance, and through my addiction recovery and various struggles with mental health that include uh, anxiety, depression, I've explored my passion of speaking with people who have taken their most adverse times and turned it into their greatest advantages. And uh, Mitch Burney of USARehabCenters.org, man, uh, wow. I'm excited to let people get to know you because I've still gotten to know you. I feel like you're my new best friend and uh, I, I oh, love you already. So uh, uh, thanks for thanks for coming on. Thank you for sharing you know your story, your experiences and um, it's an amazing journey. So I hope we we do it justice. Jason, I really feel like you're one of my best friends right now. I love you know you and what you're doing and the difference you're being and the stand that you're making and you know, there's a lot of people right now that know the problems with drug addiction, alcoholism, mental health, suicide, and all these things that are going on in our world. Um, and they hear about them, they see them, and they want to do something. They don't even know where to start. And so they just get paralyzed in that moment of just, what could I even do? How could I yeah. even help? Yeah. And, um, you know, at the same time, there's some of those people that, uh, you know, have had a breakthrough themselves somehow, like you. And look what you're doing and you're, the difference you're making and the commitment you're making to others. And I am in awe of that process. And, and there are people that get off the couch and say, I can't sit idly by and watch this without being in the game, on court, making a difference. And, and you said it. There's, there's some of us that just simply have had so much um, that has happened in our life and have been through so much. And then we go, well... If I don't take some action, I'd have to look myself in the mirror because inaction is an action. Yeah. And not to take action um, for somebody that is grateful for what gifts they have becomes almost impossible. Yeah. And I think that's what your driving force is. And you say it in your intro, and I think, well, that's really genius. You know, it's really <laughs> makes people inspires people to do something. And and you're right, that's kind of a connection to my life story. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you for that. And uh, you brought up the word uh, the gratitude there. Well, grateful. So that's where I'm going to start. Three things you're grateful for today. Uh, recovery. You know, I'm not dead. And I would have been. And there's no question in my mind. Uh, I'm grateful for that gift uh, because that gift has allowed me to um, devote my life to helping others. And I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful for the opportunity that, you know, what I'm working on could, you know, survive me for generations and uh, legacy. I'm grateful for that, you know, to be able to create a legacy that way. Absolutely. Well, let's, uh, let's dive into some of that stuff. I mean, um, boy, I, you know, usually let people know, usually there might be some kind of pre-conversation. Well, this is like our second day of of good long conversations. So I'm not sure totally where to start, but I think childhood is important. You know, we were having a conversation with a beautiful lady that, that you introduced me to today that will be on here eventually. And, um, you know, she mentioned some trauma within her family, you know, my trauma I've shared with you. Um, 
I mean, what was childhood like for little Mitch growing up, you know, siblings, mom, dad, what, you know, what paint the picture of life for me. Youngest of three, a father that served in the U.S. Marine Corps as a sergeant based out of Portsmouth, Virginia, and uh, raised in that military kind of very strict, um, you know, family. And, uh, you know, uh, without being, uh, you know, really uh, shedding too much of his story because it's really not mine, but my father uh, was a lifelong alcoholic mm-hmm. and um, a veteran that also swallowed a shotgun at 79 years old. Um, so um, I was raised in an alcoholic family. I think that that made me predisposition to become an alcoholic uh, genetically. I think that uh, there is some of that that goes on. And, and yet I don't blame that on anybody because I realized that my drinking was, you know, characteristic and of my, um, you know, own doing. And by the way, I, I, I share, you know, when I talk about my alcoholism that, yes, I identify as an alcoholic because that's what brought me to my knees and made me cry and beg for help. Uh, but I was an alcoholic that did uh, non-AA prescribed drugs. let's just say i've done a little of everything in my life and while i'm not proud of it i will say that i wouldn't change any of it because it all led up to where i am today and oh i wouldn't change i'd go through the suffering all over again to be here well and you brought two very great points that when and i'm sure you relay this to to newcomers as well and i even remind some people that maybe long-term recovery is Never step back into that victim mode, which you brought up there, you know, and uh, I, what was my other second point? I got sidetracked just thinking about little Mitch. I'm already there with you thinking about these things. But yeah, I, that ditching of the victim mentality is so incredibly important part of our process that that we have to do. Uh, it's being the grateful addict. That was the other one. A lot yeah. of people trip out when I say that if they're. You know, not someone that's in recovery, like, how can you be grateful for this? And it's like, you don't understand uh, the lack of life and living I had before and what I have now. I'd say that what I really am grateful for is that when alcohol brought me to my knees, I really had to pause. Mm-hmm. And I had to look at everything that led to my alcoholism. And one at a time, I got to address those things until I found a place of true inner peace. And I don't know how to explain that to somebody. But when you finally have all of these things that you used to self-medicate over, and I would say there's a great number of people that suffer from depression or anxiety or other uh, mental health disorders, and um, and then they use alcohol or drugs to self-medicate. And it's very, very common. Well, you know, what I was doing was I was numbing life. I was trying to uh, I was using drugs and alcohol basically throughout my life to um, numb, to to get through these moments without feeling. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I get to go through all of those things. And the biggest gift in life was being able to go through those and get to a point where I no longer needed alcohol to survive. I no longer needed alcohol to take away any pain or discomfort or, or disease. And I, it's funny that that is also a disease, you know, discomfort, dis-ease inside, uh, you know, anger, resentment, fear, you know, worry, 
um, fear of success, fear of failure, all these other things. I mean, these were great things that alcohol numbed. Yeah. But then alcohol became such a problem. Um, it was no longer numbing. It was destroying more. It really destroyed relationships and finances and self-respect and uh, careers. And I mean, it was really like, you know, the, the Titanic. I was a luxury liner. I was you know, capable of hitting an iceberg and oh, so you punch a hole in one compartment. I'm strong. I'm well built. And by the way, I'm very successful, traveled the world. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I called it the lifestyle of the Mitch and Famous. And it really flooded <laughs> down the Swiss Alps for 13 miles from Prater to Burgoon. Uh, Out of a helicopter dropped my first uh, Wi Fi and off uh, my first wife and I off on a deserted island in the Caribbean for a day. I mean, it was really that jet set lifestyle. And so I had this luxury liner and I hit a, an iceberg and it was a bottle. And it punched a hole in my ship. And I was built strong enough to survive that, except that alcohol kind of filled up that compartment and seeped over into the other compartments and others until my ship was weighted and it snapped and started to sink. And that's what I mean about it kind of spilled into every part of my life. So alcohol used to be this escape. It used to be this numbing agent. And then it became a bigger problem than any of the problems combined. Yeah. And then it brings you to your knees and you feel like um, life's over. I really felt that way. Oh, yeah. So how do you not be grateful be, from escaping that? Knocking Doors Down by Carlos Vieira. Now available wherever you get audiobooks. I wasn't done partying and I didn't want the binge to end. I think I knew that when I finally got home, I'd have to face what I had done. And I wasn't ready to do that. Being responsible for my actions wasn't something I was looking forward to. I had abandoned my wife and baby, my family, and my business. I wanted to avoid the shame of returning to what I had left behind. Even though I was not yet going home, I wasn't sure I had enough resources to continue the binge. Click the link in the podcast description to find out more. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Oh, yeah. Well, it's it's as I I relay, at least as how it relates to me, 12 step guy, you know, yeah, the the part that stands out to me and I refer to often that you will will be restored to sanity because I was in a place of absolute insanity. And what fascinates me about you, Mitch, like you were saying, you are a high achiever. People always have this perception that the the addict, and this is one of the things we got to break, the addict or the alcoholic, you know, ends up being the quote unquote wino on the streets or the, you know, the kid that ends up living under the bridge. And that's not the case, people. We need to wake up to that fact. Uh, so that brings me to a part of my story um, as to why I do what I do today. Um, that's not who we are. And the vast majority of us are... Um, and by the way, the ones that die the easiest from alcoholism and addiction are the smartest ones. 
because we're so smart that we can't accept help. We don't need your help. We think we can do this all on our own. So get lost. Leave me alone. If I wanted help, I'd get help. If I wanted to stop, I'd stop. You know, and by the way, I'm the type of alcoholic that should have been dead. And I know that today. Like, I was stubborn. You couldn't talk to me about it. I didn't want to hear anything you had to say about it. And, and then when I really did want to try to stop, and I tried to stop on my own, and I kept relapsing, I thought, I am screwed. This is it. I've crossed that line. I'll never come back. I'm going to die this way. And I really believe that was my life. That was my that I crossed that line. There was no more hope. And, um, and I got thrown a life raft and it was a 12 step life raft. And I was sharing, you know, that, that turning point was where I got a chance to go through everything in my life. And I, I swear the people that never become alcoholics should go through the 12 steps. <laughs> it's, an it's a crazy, just how incredible it was to go through that. And then I, I I cleared up all those things that I used to drink over. I no longer had to have a drink or a drug to feel good, to numb anything. There was nothing to numb. I felt great. I felt comfortable inside, comfortable in my own skin. And there wasn't a drug that was going to improve that feeling or a, a drink of alcohol that was going to make that better. And I really became really, you know, happy in that. And, um, you know, life was going on. I was 14 years into my journey of recovery and I had a successful marketing company and a television show. And, you know, I had a guy that filmed the amazing race filming my show. Right. And, you know, we were doing a business show, but it was a reality business show. We went skydiving and fox hunting and paramotoring <laughs> and uh, took private pilots instructions and charter flights. And, you know, we were doing this reality television business show and I was having, you know, a great time. And, Somebody said, would you do an episode on recovery? Hmm. I thought, yeah. And, and this is leading up to, by the way, the uh, who we are in the world and that alcoholics can be very high achievers. Um, and by the way, our minds, our minds are so constantly thinking about achievement and, you know, a lot of artists and musicians and these are really creative thinkers and the mind's always working and it never slows down. And then you get a, a drug or alcohol and it brings that all down and it gives you a chance to come down from all of this creativity and all the intensity of the, the active mind that goes on in brilliant, intelligent and, and musicians and, and entertainers and, and actors. And you, you wonder why you hear so many, so much of that. Um, it's because, you know, those brilliant minds are always thinking and, and drugs or alcohol, a little taste of that makes you get a little bit of calm down and away from that. And anyway, so um, I uh, I had this television show and somebody asked me when I was 14 years sober, if I do an episode on recovery and as um, as happy as I was and grateful as I was for my own recovery, I really never stopped to think about, you know, using my platform to maybe help inspire others. I thought, wow, what a great idea. And so on December 12th of 2015, I, we aired an episode on recovery on my television show. And an alcoholic told his recovery journey. And at the end, I asked him, what would you say to the person that's still suffering? He said, I tell you, asking for help is not a sign of weakness. It takes strength to pick up the phone and ask for help. It's the best call you'll ever make. And I thought, why didn't I hear that 14 years earlier? I thought by admitting that I needed help, that I was admitting that I was weak. 
And I was always, you know, this strong, powerful, educated overachiever, admitting that I had lost the war to a bottle was, you know, beneath me. But when he said that asking for help is not a sign of weakness, it takes strength to pick up the phone. Boy, if I heard that 14 years earlier, it would have been really a lot easier to pick up the phone because I wanted to be the powerful one, the one with enough strength to ask for help. Yeah. And ultimately, I was able to do that, and I got well, but I didn't realize that that took strength. I thought that was a, a, an admission of defeat and weakness. And I'll tell you the truth today, anybody that picks up the phone and asks somebody for help, they are the strongest people on this planet. I swear, I know it firsthand. That is the hardest thing to do, and you have to have tremendous power to pick up that 500-pound telephone and ask somebody else to help you. Especially when you're actually, you know, kind of really admitting you're putting your own ego aside to do it. It's it takes strength. It does. So anyway, um, I told him you're going to rock somebody's world, and he did. His next door neighbors. Hmm. They knocked on his door the next day and asked him for help. Now I, I think people listening would go, "Wow, how how incredible is that?" Like I couldn't believe that his next door neighbor saw the episode and went to him the next day, and I got this text. I still have this text. I've shown you the text. Yes. Yes. I've seen it. Changed my life. I realized, you know, that you can inspire somebody else through an inspirational TV show to maybe seek help for themselves. And I thought, well, I want more of that feeling. And two more people went to him in that first week. And I thought, wow, I've got a guy that's filmed international television shows and national television shows. You know, Big Brother, Oprah's Big Give, America's Next Top Model, Homeland Security, Solitary, Navajo Cops, The Amazing Race. This guy's an incredible cameraman. And I could do a national recovery television show and maybe help more people. So I started working on that. And we were in production of our first episode in April of 2017. And somebody said, when you inspire somebody to get well, give them a resource to go to, or you could leave somebody hanging and hurt them. Yeah. You could leave them hopeless and suicidal. I said, okay, well, I'll find a resource on the internet. You know, you can find hotels and rental cars and, uh, you know, you could find flights and you could find, you know, cars and boats and motorhomes and RVs and you could find home contractors. I've got to be a website where you could say, I know a male with a meth problem, a cocaine problem, uses alcohol, has depression, etnas or insurance, find a place within 10 miles of this. There's got to be a website like that. I'll just put that resource on that TV show. So when people are inspired, inspired to get help, that they would have a place to go. And there wasn't one. No. And so I spent a couple of years working on figuring out why and what was missing. And in 2019, decided to build it. And we're going to cover that in this podcast, I'm, oh, I'm sure. But then in September of 2015, while we were building this resource, somebody brought a lady into my office who was interested in being part of our organization. She was an attorney, youngest administrative law judge in Nevada's history. And um, in recovery, I wanted to know more about what we were doing. And... Uh, so they said, would you mind meeting her? And she might want to be part of our company. And this was one of our owners. And I said, bring her in. I showed her the text, told her the reason why this office that's behind me was being launched and why we're um, you know, building this site. And she said, oh, my gosh, 
I'd love to be a part of this company. I can't believe I'm about to tell you that I think that text was about me. Wow. Right. And I said, what makes you say that? She said, I live in a negated community. I saw that episode and I went to call on the person who sent you that text the next day. I know that date. It was my recovery date. And I was thinking in our gated community, is there another female alcoholic? And there wasn't. And he says she in the text. Yeah. And she goes, I think there's no way it could be anyone else. I think that I'm sure that text was about me. And this was not the person she went to that brought her into my office, a completely different friend of hers. And I thought, this isn't even possible. By the way, I'm bawling like a little kid. And she, I can only imagine. Seven foot guy that brought her into my office is also looking at both of us like, what just happened? How is this even possible? And I called the guy that she went to and I said, I met her. And he goes, You wouldn't even know if you met her. I never told you her first name. I said, Her name's Whitney. And you should have heard the profanity that came out of his mouth. <laughs> he gave you the get the f out of here. Huh? <laughs> Oh, he could not believe it. And he's like, how did you, how did you put it together? Like you would, how did you even, how did that happen? And I said, well, I really believe in divine influence. And there was no question that I was supposed to meet my wife. By the way. Oh, you know, it's, it's tough for me to share this, but um, alcohol is nasty. Alcohol kills more people than any of the drugs in the world combined. Six times more people globally. As a matter of fact, I'll just give you a quick statistic here before I share with the audience that's listening the outcome of that conversation. But um, 3 million people in 2021, and this is the most recent statistical data, 3 million people globally died from alcohol-related illnesses. That is two over 200 different ways to die from alcohol, according to the World Health Organization. You know that 703,000 people globally died from suicide? And only a half million people, only a half million people, I'm sorry I said it that way, died from all the drugs in the world, including fentanyl. Now, 70% of those were fentanyl, but we're having this big conversation today about fentanyl, alcohol, 3 million all the drugs, a half million. And by the way, out of the half million, 20% of those were in the United States, 107,000 of them. So globally, 4,203,000 people died from drug addiction, alcoholism, and suicide. Now, if you compare that to a 747, which can hold 416 passengers in a three-class configuration, that's 10,096 747s full of people every year. Now, I just want everybody to take a moment and close their eyes and picture a tarmac full of 10,096 planes. Your mind can't even build that tarmac as wide as and deep as, it, as you could to put 10,096 747s. And then I want you to take people and I want you to march them up the stairways and into every seat on all those planes. And I'm going to tell you, in one year, every one of those people and every one of those planes won't be here. And by the way, it totals 28 planefuls of people every day, every week, every month, all year to get to 10,096. 28 a day. And by the way, if we hear one or two plane crashes, the whole 
airline is shut down. Yeah. And the world's in an uproar, but we're losing 28 people, planes full of people every day from drugs, alcohol, and suicide. It's a massive problem. And, you know, also inside of drugs, alcohol, and uh, suicide, all of these things are combined. Like we have veterans that have been injured in war and have PTSD. And then sometimes they get addicted to the pain pills and become addicted to those. Or sometimes, you know, all of the injury, loss of limbs, create mental health, PTSD, depression, and they use drugs or alcohol to self-medicate. And, and even physical injury and all these things are so tight at the hip. Yeah. So when we built our website, we built 500 searchable items, drug, alcohol, mental health, physical rehab, all the wraparound services, housing models. Do they take service animals, financial literacy, you know, all the different things that people could need for youth and teen and women and um, uh, all of the different cultures and societies. And whether you're a citizen or not, I don't care. I don't want you to die. Whether you have insurance or not, where do you go? And, and we put together 500 searchable items and put them into a database. But what I wanted to get back to was on December 11th of all days, you know, 9-11, uh, Whitney, during a relapse of alcoholism because of some unresolved grief, perished. We lost her. Sorry. It's okay, mate. I said there are 200 different ways you can die from alcoholism, and I'd never heard of this one in my now over 21 years. Hyponatremia, sodium levels so low in a in a period of uh, you know multiple days of drinking and not taking care of your intake and food and liquids and hydration and all of that and the body just shuts down from a lack of sodium, seizure, coma, and death. And this was a brilliant attorney, absolutely beautiful human being that even through her struggle passionately wanted to help others. And every time one of the anniversaries of a loss of her brother or loss of her five-month-old child when earlier came around, she would struggle. And um, I don't know how you cope with that pain, but alcohol was what she would turn to. And, you know, you think, oh, all she drank was wine. Wine's not going to kill you, right? I think, you know, I hope the people listening right now are going, wine? That's all she ever drank. No hard liquor, no drugs. We're on the table here at all. One glass of wine, one glass of beer, and a shot of tequila have the same amount of alcohol in them. And when you hear that, you go, oh, yeah, of course they do. Mm -hmm. But on just a few-day vendor of wine, you know, we don't need to lose people like this. No. And, and my goal is to make sure that her life the loss of her life will, her legacy will save other lives. That her work with us and her commitment to our work, you know, her legacy will be that she helped so many others in the world. And what we built is something we're right now scaling. We're scaling it nationally. Um, we're getting all the providers to go onto the site. 
And uh, there isn't any reason why a provider shouldn't be on our site. There's an absolutely free listing. And I'm not talking a trial period. And, oh, you got to put your credit card and you might get billed later. There's an absolutely free listing. Every provider in this country should immediately go on our website, usarehubcenters.org, and put their facilities on there. And they check all of these things out of the 500 list items that we have that they do. And then when somebody says, I'm a male with a meth addiction, a cocaine addiction, and I have alcoholism, I have depression, and I need a place within 30 miles of 89503, they can actually get a result. And you could do that search on our website, and you would find facilities that can treat that individual right now. Yeah. No delay. No three hours, three weeks three days don't forget to hit the subscribe button and if you get a lot out of this podcast share with a friend and don't forget the archive of interviews we have bam margera brandon novak kat von d charlie sheen edward furlong kelly osborne the list goes on and on of amazing guests that have been on the podcast sharing how they have found purposeful lives speaking of purpose how about a lifestyle brand with purpose 5150 LTM. That's right. Not only is it a lifestyle brand that can fit whatever it is you're trying to achieve in life, but they give back to the community. And you, the listener of Knocking Doors Down, get 20% off every time you shop at 5150 LTM. All you have to do is use the code KDD20 at checkout and get 20% off. And how does 5150 give back to the community? Portions of the sales benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation. Their three amazing programs, the Race to End the Stigma, the Race for Autism, and the Race to Be Drug-Free. More on the Carlos Vieira Foundation, go to carlosvierafoundation.org. And I'm glad you bring that up, Mitch, <clears throat> because, you know, you, you like when you were sharing your stories and Whitney's and, and you think of that pride and the not asking for help and, you know, you even just sharing your childhood and I could, you know, I, I've known and I don't mean to lump it in or not everybody, but I've had friends that grew up in military families and similar stories to you. Is it sometimes with the, the person that wants help, we get a fractional window. And with the system that is out there right now for people to immediately like be able to go get the help and someone respond. I don't know how to say it. It's a it's a bullshit challenge. I mean, you introduced yeah, me to sure. a lady earlier where, you know, trying to get help for her daughter and she's jumping through so many different hoops. But sometimes we only get so much clarity. And you know, like I know, you know, you've helped so many different people through the recovery process. Sometimes that comes at 3 a.m. Actually, it came today at 5.30 a.m. And you close. had it at 5.30. I got a call at 5.30 this morning, and somebody was literally close to death. Yeah. And they didn't want to go get help, and their family member called me, and I got on the phone with them, and they're now today in treatment. But they were at a very high risk for the delirium tremens. Mm -hmm. And I'll share this one because, again, I, I think sometimes education is – is half the battle if people knew all the different things you could all the different ways you could get well and that was basically what our tv show was going to be about we were going to take you to you know manufacturers of transcranial magnetic stimulation devices and and teach you what that machine 
was and how it worked and how it was invented. And then go to treatment centers that employed that practice and talk to them about how they use this in their treatment facilities and how and what it treats and who benefits. And they were going to have family stories, a family that talked about their loved one that was struggling and finally found transcraniomatic magnetic stimulation. And then we're going to go to the person that recovered with it and have them share their experience. And then at the end of the show, ask others to reach seek help for themselves. But half the battle is the information and knowing where to go. And, um, you know, the, the thing is that people don't realize there's a thing called the delirium tremens. Yeah. And so I'll share this right now for anybody who thinks they might be drinking just a little too much. Delirium tremens, the, the normal drinker or um, even a little bit excessive drinker, when they stop drinking, will get better and better over the next three days. You know, they, they feel horrible the first day and the next day they feel maybe 40, 60 percent better and the next day, 80, 90 percent better. And whew, by the next day, they're feeling back to human. And a real heavy drinker winds up getting worse every day and worse. And, you know, they go through fevers and vomiting and diarrhea and um, literally can be curled up in a fetal position, sweating and, and having abdominal pains and having irregular heart rhythms and high blood pressure and, and fast heart rates. And, you know, all these things are really signs leading up to death. Number one killer of alcoholics is the delirium tremens. And what it is, is from day one to three, you're getting worse. And between day four and day five, typically between day three and day five, um, that the uh, heart can give out, but also seizure, uh, hallucinations, coma, and death occur. And it's sudden. It happens within eight to 15 minutes, and it's too late. And unless somebody's there to give you oxygen, to resuscitate you, to, to bring you back to life during it, um, it's over. And it's uh, and it's an alcoholism. I don't know if people realize this, but, you know, when you just cold turkey heroin, people don't usually die from cold turkey from heroin. It's extremely rare. Yet when people stop drinking suddenly from alcohol in unsupervised detox, it's very common. So anybody that's a heavy drinker, I encourage them to seek medical detox and, and to do it the safe way. And by the way, medical detox is the easy way out because it means that you can get some help and some medications. And if you were to stop breathing, they can give you oxygen. They can intubate you. You're not going to necessarily die. It's very hard to die from alcohol withdrawals in, an, in a setting where there's medical interventions. And so, you know, this is part of the education process and people knowing but. um you know, people just don't realize how deadly alcoholism is. And that's why it's six times more deadly than all the drugs in the world. And I think people right now are saying, no way. And I have the, the facts. I've got the articles. Call me. I'll show them to you. Email me, Mitch at USARehabCenters.org. I'll be happy to share with you all of the, the statistical data that's out there on this. And so, you know, I just got to a point in my life where if I didn't do this, I couldn't look in the mirror. You know, and you said it, you know, um, it means the calling is at three in the morning or 530 in the morning. And it doesn't matter. The gift to me and you talk about we started off on gratitude. I'm so grateful that I'm not dead mm -hmm. and that I get to be there now to help other people live and thrive. It's it's a it's the most rewarding thing I've ever experienced in my life. Like I can't explain it to somebody that's never been there. You get it. You're smiling. 
You've yeah. helped people. And and by the way, we're not playing deities either. Let's be clear about that. No. You know, we're just a microscopic speck of dust in their recovery. We may be able to be a crack in the matrix for them to step into and then seek help. And then if they get help and then their family and their clergy and their, their higher power or their, their own self-determination and they start to do the things and then they get well, we're not part of all of that necessarily. We're just maybe that catalyst and that's enough. That's enough to really feel good. Yeah. Um, but you talked about the window and I want to address that. So uh, within the last month, one of my own relatives who knows that I'm building this site, and we're now in the process of getting this populated throughout the country. And there are about a dozen states already starting to come online. Uh, one of my own relatives called me because their a spouse, their spouse's child was suffering through meth addiction and they meth was laced with fentanyl. And they were willing to accept help, but they didn't know in their county where to go. And we had one facility in that county, and I immediately jumped on the line. And their um, intake isn't open until Monday, and this was on a Sunday, but they said, take them into these medical detoxes. They'll transfer them to us all Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday when they're stable enough to be transferred. I'm like minutes. I'm that quick compared because I know what the realities are. And I'm, con- I'm call- going to call her back. As I get a text, don't worry. She changed her mind. She's not going anywhere. Minute. Uh, Look, when you're talking to somebody that's on meth, let's be real about it. And anybody out there that's used meth or any cocaine or any of these other drugs, you take a dose and you get high. And then when you start to come down, this panic of detox, this pain of like, if I don't get my next use, I suffer. The panic comes in. Now, if Immediately, as she was willing to accept help, she was put into a car and started to be transported. There could be this moment where she goes, okay, I'm going to be there in a few minutes, and I'm going to get help for this finally. I'm so glad I don't want to do this anymore. And just as she gets there, the pain is starting to set in, but medical interventions keep her from needing that drug or running away, and there's people there to help her and let her know, we've got this, you've got this, we're here to support you, we all love you, and then recovery starts to flourish. Yep. Well, but if and- you don't get that help right then and the drug wears off and you need your next fix, and if you think I'm going to get in the car right now and go get help uh, and have to suffer that whole drive, that could be the difference between, by the way, one use today with the wrong amount of fentanyl in it, life and death. Yep. Well, and it's I'm glad you bring that up, Mitch, because I had someone recently – uh, a normie, well, as we use that term sometimes for the non-addict. You mean somebody that doesn't abuse it? Yeah, right. Like, wh- why wouldn't you drink everything that's available? Um, but ask me about. I'll ask tell, me I'll the tell question. you why they're normies. Can I tell you that? Yeah, go ahead. Stand in line when you're born, and God gives you your drink tickets. The reason they're normies is I took half of theirs, so they didn't get enough to get to be an alcoholic. <laughs> exactly. I'll finish your beer. I <laughs> know. I took half their drink tickets. A dozen others. And I'm like, you know, I'm, yeah. they didn't have enough drink tickets to become alcoholics. That's what it is. <laughs> but they asked me the question about, well, why do uh, why do some, I always hear that addicts, they go into rehab loaded. Why is that? That's the reason. That is the reason quite often right there. And, and, you know, you brought up fentanyl. So let's take someone, it's fentanyl. They've OD'd. 
they've been narcan they get transported to a hospital or whatever, and a hospital can only do what they do, and they do what they do to the best of their ability. So it's not a knock there. But you Narcan someone that's on fentanyl or opioid, they're going to go towards a uh, withdrawal pretty quickly, pretty quickly. And that's that window that we're talking about to illustrate for people. So let's say it's someone fentanyl, they overdose, they've been Narcan, they're at the hospital, they come too. And you might read or hear about a story, and I'm Mitch, I'm sure you've you've known people, because I have too, that they immediately got up, left, and went and used again right away. And Absolutely. you've you've heard it from famous people like uh Nikki Six of Motley Crue comes to mind, overdosed on heroin, wakes up in the hospital, goes home, and guess what he does? The next morning he wakes up with the needle in his arm of the blood that's ran down his arm and dried in the palm of his hand. That's how powerful it is. That's how hijacked, that's how much that window of time when we can actually go, here's your resource, and that's the work you're trying to do is make it so ubiquitous and, and, and simple for people that here it is, we've got that small window of time of clarity, and we can get them there. And you heard today from Darcy, who's going to be on a future podcast years, who, God forbid, lost her 17-year-old daughter from an overdose, and she's devoted her life to giving out Narcan and setting up Narcan boxes around the state of Nevada. And she saved countless lives already by making sure that people could be resuscitated. Um, that that window um, for opportunity is so small and we're all one overdose or one drink away from dying. And by the way, I want to talk about this and can I screen share for this podcast? Is that sure. possible? Yeah, it'll pop up uh, for the video okay. portion. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to show this. Because this is um, how bad the problem is, and it's getting worse right now. Um, the DEA issued a warning on fentanyl mis mixed with um, flesh-eating trank. Yep. Basically, it's xylazine, a animal tranquilizer mixed with fentanyl. It's been seized in 48 out of the 50 states, and people hear about this. It's called the zombie drug. Yep. You can If somebody's on it, you can talk to them, and the lights are off. They can't communicate with you. They're a zombie. But it's also flesh eating. It's eating holes in their skin and they're losing limbs and dying from it. There's a new drug called carfentanil. And I don't know how many people have ever heard of this, but I'm going to enlarge this if, they, um, if I can so that people can read this a little bit clearer. Carfentanil is, um, remember this over here, 10,000 times more potent than morphine and 100 times more potent than fentanyl. Now, if you can imagine 100 times more potent than fentanyl, let me show you what that means. Carfentanil, on the left, here's a penny, and this is a overdose, lethal dose, your dead dose of fentanyl. On about, a penny. Two, about two milligrams, 2,000 micrograms. And here, that little dot right there, and I'll enlarge it again, that little speck right there is an overdose from carfentanil. Yeah, or isotonazine. Which is about 0.02 milligrams or 20 micrograms. A grain of salt? Yep. It's getting worse, not better. And people need to know that the manufacturers, distributors of these drugs are not pharmacists and chemists. They cannot control micrograms, nanograms. They cannot mix it so that it's not deadly and know that they're just giving you enough to get high. No. It just doesn't work that way. No. And we're one. Yeah. Wrong, 
dose. It's all, it's too late. You don't even get a second chance. Yeah. We're not even getting the chance to even help people ever seek a recovery path. Well, let's just say this. I'm going to give you a couple of other statistics and I hate to be this data statistician, (laughs) but, um, I actually have this on my desk here, so I'll kind of hold it up so I'm not making these stats up that I'm about to tell you about. But this is called the AFSCARS report, which is how many children enter the foster care system in 2021. First time entering the foster care system, there were over 380,000 children in the United States in 2021 that entered the foster care system of which 36% were there because the parents' drug abuse, 6% because the parents' alcohol abuse, and only 2% because the child's drug abuse. But 44% of all of the foster care children in the system that entered it in 2021 were for drugs or alcohol. And now it's a staggering reality, but we are now losing both parents to an overdose and grandparents are raising their grandchildren and the largest number of deaths are happening between the ages of 19 and 35. And the highest suicide rate in the United States right now is between 10 and 19. We're losing a generation. And then let's let's talk about all the other things that happen because of drugs and alcohol. I was in um, Planton uh, County in Alabama, mm-hmm. and I was talking to one of the uh, um, police officers there um, in less than the last year, and I was asking him how many how many people are incarcerated in your county jail that either committed crimes like possession, traffic, and distribution, or committed crimes under the influence of drugs or alcohol, petty theft, strong arm robberies, home invasions, DUI accidents, DUI fatalities, or bodily injuries or, you know, domestic violence where the children were involved, how much of the prison population, it didn't even take them a millisecond to say 85%. Mm-hmm. So what does just suggest that, if, and somebody else asked me, and this was a couple of months ago, I was uh, on a international call uh, with a group um, that's looking to help forward our cause internationally. And I was asked from a gentleman in Pakistan, how are you going to fight this war on drugs? I said, when do we stop fighting a war on drugs? You know, for me to, to be to beat alcohol, I had to stop fighting alcohol. When I stopped making like I could win that war is when I got well. Mm-hmm. I had to say, I give up. I'm, I'm done. I can't beat you alcohol. You win. But what I did find was help. And that help was stronger than alcohol. And by the way, my help was very spiritual. And my help, the power behind me, is greater than anything in front of me. And I haven't had to drink for over 21 years. My sobriety date is October 12, 2001. And I, when I say grateful and blessed, I should be dead. Mm-hmm. Every day is a gift. Um, so, you know, you know, you look at the, the impact this is making on our society, the judicial costs, the prosecution. Curatorial costs, Crazy. medical transport to the ERs, the ER costs, the um, hospitalizations as taxpayers, as a community, these petty thefts and strong arm robberies and all these things necessary to support the habits of drug addiction and alcoholism. The children that have to witness the domestic violence and then the, be put in the foster care system and grow up without their parents or their parents died from overdoses. 
the, the, the cost to our whole society is so significant. It's so much like we could go out and we could resolve, you know, colon cancer or breast cancer, and it wouldn't make the impact that if we resolve drug addiction and alcoholism, that it will make. And by the way, what I said to this gentleman in Pakistan was, you're not going to win the war on drugs. Stop mm -mm. fighting it. No. Stop fighting it. You can't win it. As long as there's a market for the drugs, the cartels will manufacture them. Crunch countries will uh, export the precursors. Countries will make it. Other people will import it because there's money in it. Oh, yeah. But if you get people well and there's no longer a supply chain of demand, there's no desire for it, there's no money in it. Yeah. They go away. They find something else to do. That's the only way that it's going to get stopped. I want people listening to be part of the solution. And part of the solution is getting everybody help and getting the providers to come together and unify. Because, you know, they say it takes a village to raise a child. Right now, we're calling on the community of providers to come together, organize this database, because it's never been built in a searchable fashion. There's all these directories out there. It's like a phone book. And then you've got to call or go online and read. And do you take my insurance? Do you do medical detox? Do you treat this, this, this mental health condition with it? All these. And it takes hours or days. And like you said, that addict isn't going to wait that long. Yeah, we even tested it uh, with the gentleman I was telling you about, Flynn Anderson, the founder of Pain, that I, where I work at. We tested it. We called somewhere and we were on hold for two and a half hours. You, you've, and we had to go through 97 million prompts. Okay. I've been around people coming down for methamphetamine. <laughs> They're not going to sit through 97 prompts on the phone, let alone two and a half hours to sit there and wait. And I've, I recollect it was that call. We ended up getting a voice message service anyways. What are we going to do? And I want to mention another one here, Mitch, while you're looking that up is, uh, you know, there's another a rise of uh, benzo dope right now. So it's benzodiazepines mixed with fentanyl that's becoming incredibly scary. And as I tell people, so if you've seen someone high on fentanyl, they nod out. They're, they're done. It's like heroin to the extreme. They're out. Okay. So you're hitting them with the body like high as I kind of, and most of the young people have told me it's a, it's a, you know, a quick high. It doesn't have any legs. Last you maybe four hours. Whereas benzodiazepine, we know, is essentially, it's a pill form of alcohol, basically, if you really break it down and think about it. So we're hitting you uh, with that mental, emotional part and that physical part. And that's the scary thing about this, Trank, uh, Croc, that's out there, too. Oh, Croc. Oh, you're talking flesh-eating, same thing as Trank. You know, we're just losing limbs trying to get hot. We're talking about animal tranquilizers, people. And I know for the, you know, normies or people have gotten sober or never gone no down sense. that road. Yeah, it's insanity. Again, back to the beginning, my favorite part, still 12 step promise was that restored to sanity. This is the insanity. This is the point these people are at. Well, and, and I, I understand the insanity when you are trapped or addicted. And by the way, alcohol was an addiction for me. I, I literally didn't have the power to stop. I didn't have the power mm -hmm. to choose. And alcohol is probably the funniest of all of them because it's the only one that tells you, you really don't have a problem with me. You yeah. can have this one. 
You'll only have one this time. <laughs> so good. Come on, let's celebrate. You can have one now. You haven't had a drink in 21 years. You wouldn't be an alcoholic yeah. now. And I know I would pick, I wouldn't just have one. I've been without one for 21 years. I'd be like making up for all the lost time. I don't want to die. So yeah. I don't even take the first drink. And by the way, it's the same thing with drugs and alcohol. If you don't have the first one, you stay sober. Yeah, you can't get drunk or high. And you don't wind up going, oh, God, here I am again. How did I wind up here? And by the way, when you stop and restart, you're never where you left off. You're always hurting more. You're always in more pain. It never gets easier. It just gets worse. And I thought literally when I was when I was in that trap, I thought I crossed the line that you could never come back from. So when we talk about gratitude, when you really believe that you're going to die this way and you don't, I don't know that there's another word for it. Gratitude doesn't even kind of today describe it. No. I, mean, I am beyond words for just the rejoicing of not being trapped by the drug alcohol. And I would be dead today. There is no question today I would not be talking to you had I stayed drinking. And this is, um, I'll share this last thing I'll share here is what the National Institute on Drug Abuse says. According to the National Institute on Drug Abuse, no single treatment is appropriate for everyone. Treatment varies depending on the type of drug, the characteristics of the patients, matching treatment settings, interventions, and services to an individual's particular problems and needs is critical to his or her ultimate success and returning to productive functioning in the family, workplace, and society. Effective treatment attends to the multiple needs of the individual, not just his or her drug abuse. To be effective, treatment must address the individual's drug abuse and any associated medical, psychological, social, vocational, and legal problems. It's also important that treatment be appropriate to the individual's age, gender, ethnicity, and culture. Yep. We built a website that will search for all of that and all the wraparound services, parent training. Do they take pets? Do they take service animals? What about family programs, youth programs, seniors programs, veteran programs, anything like maybe you're in the court systems and you need ankle monitoring, breathalyzers, you know, DUI counseling and you know, there's a hundred different treatment protocols and ways you can get well. Well, you know, equine therapy, music therapy, EMDR, TMS. I mean, there's just, <laughs> where do you search for all of this? There's never been organized in a searchable database. It's always just been a phone book style directory. And then you had to start doing the research. Yeah. We wanted people to have a click, click, click search, whether you're under the influence or not, seek help guide. Now, with that said, we are, have just launched, perfected, beta tested, and up the functionality upgraded, and we're live. We have a dozen states coming online. We need every provider across this country to get in there, put their resources online right away so people needing help can find them. This is the ultimate win-win-win. We recognize a couple of things here, that when people need help, the window's this big. And when providers open up a facility, if they don't keep their beds full or pay their bills, we lose their services in our communities. Yep. And so we want 
all of this to balance. We want to keep the, the services. We want people that need help to find the right help on the first call. And for the providers not to get 100 calls and have to turn away 99 people. That when they get a call from our site, that it's somebody they can help and immediately start the process and give people the relief that they're on their path to freedom from drugs or alcohol or mental health or injury and all the things that go with it. So, um, Jason, I don't know how to thank you. I come back to gratitude for your willingness to even share this and take the time to meet with me, get to know me. And, uh, yeah, I, I love you, man. <laughs> I love you too, bro. <laughs> you are in this world is pretty impressive. It's like, they're not, not everybody just gives just shows up and does it and you're showing up and doing it. And I try, I put my camouflage on every day. You know, <laughs> and I mean that uniform wise, not in no, a, I'll, not I'll in a desire you, to hide. What you're doing isn't putting on camouflage. You're ripping your skin off, and you're exposing every nerve ending, and you're feeling everything. And it doesn't matter. You're being vulnerable, and you're just opening up in a way that facilitates other people finding help. I sure hope so. And I'm grateful for you and people like you. Likewise, as I'm am I. Well, Mitch, this is where we shift some gears here and uh, go into some random questions before I uh, ask you for some final thoughts. Are you up for it? These are just to have fun so we can get some laughs going because Mitch has a great sense of humor. Trust me, I know. Oh. <laughs> Uh, all right, here we go. Don't tell me you want me to do knock-knock jokes. I'm <laughs> no, none of that. No dad jokes either. <laughs> of course, random questions brought to you by 5150 LTM. Uh, click that link in the podcast description. Of course, they give back uh, proceeds from all sales. Go to the Carlos Vieira Foundation. There are three programs, Race for Autism, Race to be Drug-Free, and Race to End the Stigma, providing mental health scholarships. So, uh, all right, here we go. This is, a, this is a fun one. Pet peeves. What irks Mitch? What annoys the you-know-what out of you? Wow. Pet peeves. Inauthenticity. Mm. I guess because I lived it. Sure. I told you, I, I think I mentioned it for just a millisecond, but it was the lifestyle of the Mitch and Famous. I traveled the world. I had the helicopters drop us off on deserted islands, sledded 13 miles down the Swiss Alps. I lived in Beverly Hills, two blocks off of Rodeo. And it was the most superficial, inauthentic, that a human being could be. It was all about me. Don't you know who I am? Mm -hmm. And alcohol, once it brought me to my knees, and um, I have a special needs son uh, who's the most incredible, authentic human being I've ever met. Um, and like I told you the other day, he goes into a restaurant and he says to this waitress, he's 17 right now, he goes, you are beautiful. And he was right. She was hot. <laughs> and he goes, you're beautiful. Do you want to be my girlfriend? And she goes, oh, my gosh, I'd love to be. How many girlfriends do you have? And he says, only 100. <laughs> He's the most authentic person I've ever met. And uh, he teaches me authenticity. And I'd say that my pet peeve because of him is inauthenticity. And I've met him. He's a beautiful young man. That's Greatest gift I've ever had. And by the way, one of the greatest gifts of my recovery is I've been able to be the parent to him. And I got sober three years before he was born, and I've been able to be a parent of a special needs child, the parent I wanted to be, the advocate for him, the father I wanted to be. And he's turning out to be you know, a much better human being than I could have ever become in my life. 
Well, and that really segued into my next question that I was going to ask you. How much does it mean to you as a father to break that cycle within your family? Well, you said it. You know, my father was an alcoholic, a lifelong alcoholic, and he was kind of abusive. When I was a child, I used to get spotted with belt until I had welts. And he said because he was a sergeant in the Marine Corps, he couldn't stop until my mom stopped staying stopped because, you know, he was the man of the house. I found that out when I was 16 and he shared that with me. So, um, you know, alcoholism can be generational. And by the way, I didn't share this with you, but remember I told you December 13, 2015 was the text that changed my life. Mm-hmm. Well, December 13th, uh, excuse me, December 13th, 2022, seven years to the day later, one of Whitney's members of her family called, came into my office and asked me for help. And so it is generational and we see this, you know, and it's like, so to be the one that gets to break that chain, you know, my son, you know, he's special needs and he's been very protected in his environment and not been introduced to it. And I know someday he will, but he's already seen the example and he knows that his dad is the CEO founder of USA Rehab Centers. And, and he hears me talking about you know, sobriety and not drinking and not using. And I, I at this point, have broken that chain in ours. And, you know, that's uh, that's where the future lies and the next generation and the leaders of our world lie. And uh, anybody that's ever crossed that line into drug addiction or alcoholism that's able to come back and then help their kids not go down that path and be the next generation of leaders, my hat's off to you. You're breaking the chain. And that has been the greatest gift of my recovery is being a father to a child that's never seen his dad drunk. I got that gift. Not everybody gets to, to get sober before that. Um, so again, I count my blessings. I, I My son is 17, turns 18 in a few days and has never had to see his dad under the influence of alcohol. And so he doesn't know what that looks like. And that is, yeah, it means everything to me. That's my number one gift in recovery, if you want to know the truth. Yeah. If uh, if you had to recommend any one book to someone, what would it be? You have time to read. <laughs> I'm a read. Okay, I'm a reading nut, but I do throw my audio books into there because I okay. do do a lot of driving. So yes, I think this year my goal is 25 books, and I'm pretty sure I'll beat that in about a month or two. Who has time to read? You know, I basically for me, my escape is comedy and uh, comedy shows and laughter. So for me, I I choose to go to comedy shows and and, and watch, uh, you know, comedy movies like, uh, you know, you've had some of those guests on your show. Like uh, 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 we were you were just mentioning it earlier. Jackass. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> you could have dinner with any one person. Ernie's. <laughs> oh God, yeah, wonderfully terrible movie. That's a bad movie, but it's great at the same time. Um, you could Kentucky have Kentucky Fried movies. Oh, I love Kentucky Fried Lazy movies. Battles. <laughs> Just give me humor because humor heals the soul. That's that's. Uh, yeah, it does. And and for people, I've had many uh, normies go, gosh, you, you seem, you recovery people seem to have a twisted sense of humor. I said, oh, yeah. You do, and dumber. <laughs> I said, yeah, because we've gone to the edge of our existence. You got to understand. Um, all right. 
Uh, you could have dinner with any one person, living or not. Who are they? You know, this might sound pretty um, out there in left field, but um, I can relate to this individual because I was once, and I'll tell you that after I share this with you. Um, they, I was once in a, a group, and it was a kind of a self-help program, and and they had a, asked a question: If you drop a rock in a puddle of water, and out come the concentric rings. Um, and, you know, out here on one ring is, you know, Martin Luther King and out here on another ring is Nelson Mandela and Mother Teresa. And they're making a difference on a national or international or global scale. Where are you in those concentric rings? And if you died tomorrow, did you fulfill on your life? That's pretty deep. Mm. And when I dropped the rock, it landed right where I was. I was just running a business in a community here in Northern Nevada. And I hadn't made a difference even on a city, state, national or international scale. And um, so for me, I think one of the people that I'd want to get to meet would be Martin Luther King. Because he had a, a vision, he had a dream and he had a desire to be a difference in the world. And I, I just want to be able to meet him and, and, and hear you know, from him directly how that occurred. I mean, that's pretty powerful, you know, to want to be a difference and and devote your life to it and to risk it all. And anything that comes out of that, I mean, there's just because you're willing to to make a difference doesn't mean it's going to be easy. And to have the fortitude to go through that and power through that, no matter how bad others around you would fight you in that cause. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd love to spend an evening with him. For those listening or watching, all the links for uh, usrehabcenters.org is in the uh, podcast description. Uh, Mitch, this is where I give you the floor to uh, anything you'd want to say, maybe to the struggling addict, their family member, or uh, just lend in general to folks. Thank you. I really would like to speak to the person that might be listening or their family member um, that might be suffering and that never give up hope. Even a, a, a family member that sees their loved one struggling, um, you got to start by loving them right where they're at. Um, if you're able to do that and love them before they can love themselves, then there's hope. And by the way, um, for the person that's struggling, you're worthy of recovery. You know, inside of every person that's struggling, we, we even talked about this at the top of the podcast that. Um, a lot of really good people get addicted to drugs and alcohol. And at, at some point along the road, we start to be our own worst enemies. We're harder on ourselves than anybody could ever be on us. And and it's that lack of, you know, self that um, keeps us in our disease. And I just want to let everyone that's that's listening right now that's struggling know you're worthy of recovery. You're worthy of it and you deserve it. And um you know, reach out and ask for help. You know, find somebody that's in recovery, reach out to your family or loved ones that will support you in it, your clergy, um, just God, you know, whatever it takes, um, start that journey. The sooner you start it, the sooner the relief comes and it's the best thing you'll ever do in your life. Just don't give up hope and realize that you are worthy. On that note, everybody, keep knocking doors down. This is the Knocking Doors Down podcast, featuring celebrities, experts, and everyday people who have overcome adversities, including addiction, mental health, 
and trauma to live purposeful lives. And that's what Knocking Doors Down is all about.